doesn't taste exactly how we thought it would, even if it doesn't feel exactly what, how we're expecting. I pray, Lord, that we would have our hands open for what it is that you have for us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. So sometimes when I prepare a sermon, you guys can sit down, I feel a little bit like I'm... You know, a bit like Moses going up the mountain and God's given me the word and it's got it in its completeness and I'm coming back down with my stone tablets and I'm going to share it with the people and it's all finished and it's all good. So this time I kind of feel like I'm halfway up the mountain and God started telling me something and I was like, oh, that's not really ready. That's, I don't feel like I've learned that stuff. And God's like, no, this is what you're going to share. And I was like, oh, I don't really feel like it's ready, God. But he said, this is what you're going to share. And so I feel tonight as if I'm an artist inviting you into my studio full of all my half-finished paintings for you to judge. Only the studio is actually my life. And I'm inviting you in to look at all my half-learned lessons and all the things that God is speaking to me about that I will, uh, that I will get on top of and it's going to be amazing but I preach from a place of very much this is what I'm learning and this is where I'm going so I just want to preface everything with that so that you guys don't think that Jenny's so on top of all this stuff because I am not (laughs) which is fine because we're going there so I had a significant birthday party birthday really is the main thing there was also a party who loves a party yeah I had a significant birthday recently so now that I'm old I'm going to share my wisdom with you Um, It's been 10 years since I had a birthday that had a zero in the end. That's how they work. That's maths. Um, And when you turn 20, it was 30, by the way, for people that don't know me that well. When you turn 20, being an adult is really new and exciting. And it's like, oh, I'm so grown up. And like, like, I've recently learned to do all these adult things. And I've recently moved out by myself. And I'm learning how to budget and pay rent. And all those things are still new and exciting. And being a grown-up, it's new, it's different, and it's very different when you turn 30. The shine of adulthood wears off a little bit with every dirty naffy and every mortgage repayment and every staff meeting. I think I find that you go, you don't go, yay, I'm a grown-up as much uh, at 30 as you did with 20. You guys are so quiet. Anyway, so my 30th birthday came around and I got a bit cranky got a bit cranky at myself and I got a bit cranky at God. And not about getting older because I know that age is absolutely a privilege that's denied to a lot of people and I don't feel upset about getting older. I felt upset that my life didn't look like how my 20-year-old self thought that it would. I looked at this huge list of things that when I was 20, I would have done and I would be by now and the things I would have learned and the things I would no longer struggle with and the places that I would have gone to. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm not, I'm not doing so well on a lot of those fronts. You know what? There's so many things that have happened along the way that are beyond my expectations and that I didn't see coming and that are far greater But I wasn't looking at those things because that's not how sulking works. (laughs) So in particular, there are a couple of situations in my life that I'm not going to go into that I was, am still pretty dissatisfied with. And I wonder if I'm the only one or if anyone ever gets that when you look at just a part of your life in isolation and go, that's not where I want to be. That's not the person that I want to be. Yeah, I'm glad it's not just me. What we do is we look at our lives and we go, this is not enough. 
It's not what I wanted, God. It's not what I ordered. It's not enough. And I have kind of sat in the midst of a messy house so many times and gone, oh, this isn't what I imagined for myself. I've sat in a staff meeting talking about something that I couldn't solve, that I still had to be a part of an hour and a half conversation about and gone, this isn't what I, this isn't what I ordered, God. It's not enough. And it sounds silly to stand up in front of a group of people and say that, but I reckon really, if we're honest, we've all actually thought it. And whenever I have a bit of a not enough moment, the words of the Apostle Paul ring in my ears where he wrote in Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. It's pretty amazing. It's a pretty amazing secret to learn. I, I read that and I go, no, you haven't. No one knows how to be content when they're in need. No one knows how, how to be in that place where you look at your life and go, this isn't what I wanted and go, I'm content. But you know what? I believe that he did. I, I think that that's me reacting. I don't believe that the, the Apostle Paul wrote lies. just want to put that on record. <laughs> I'm certainly trying to learn that secret. And that's very much, if you come into my, my studio, that's what my half-finished paintings are about at the moment. And the first thing that God has been speaking to me about in that contentedness is the idea of manna. And it's receiving what God gives, even if you don't like the taste. So I'm going to read you a little bit of... Where's it from, Megan? I haven't written it in my notes. Sorry, right, Megan's going to put the references on the... She's on the ball. There we go. It's in Exodus. <laughs> oh, I don't make her job easy. It says, The whole of the Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sinai, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So let's put this into context. This is a community of people who had, what, what did it say, like two months ago, been led literally through a parted sea out of slavery. For the first time in generations, they are not slaves. This is the first time they have ever been a free people. And they're going, it's not enough. It's not enough, Moses. It's not enough, Aaron. It's not enough, God. This isn't what we expected. This is not what we ordered. This is not enough. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gathered on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard you grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. And it is so important that we recognize that, that when I go, 
this staff meeting is not enough. This job is not enough. My house is not enough. I'm not actually grumbling against the staff meeting or my job or the house. I'm grumbling against what God has given me and the situation that he has placed me in. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the whole Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. How scary is that? When Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight, you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord, your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? But they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Okay, so it literally rained bread from heaven. Let's just take a moment. Okay. So manna, I find amazing because it wouldn't keep. There's a passage that talks about when they tried to gather it up and stockpile it and store it and it rotted overnight. It couldn't, they couldn't keep it. They couldn't stockpile it. They couldn't make any more of it. They didn't even know what it was. It was purely from heaven. There was no replicating it. God gave them exactly what they needed for that moment, exactly enough for the moment. And if you think about your life right now and all the good bits and all the hard bits and all the situations that you would change if you could, they're what God has given you for the moment and he's given you exactly enough for that moment. But, and the, you know what? The Israelites, they're stoked, obviously. But if you skip forward to Numbers 11, after 40 years of manna, you find that their perspective has shifted slightly. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but manna. We never see anything but magic heaven bread that literally rains down overnight. Suddenly, suddenly what God gave was not enough. And how many of us have said or left unsaid but felt in our hearts, God, what you've placed in my hand is not enough. What you have provided is not enough. It's not what I ordered. This is not what I ordered. But if we can learn to put our hands up and out and gracefully receive what comes from heaven and gracefully receive whatever it is, whether it's whether we perceive it as this amazing magic heaven bread or whether we perceive it as, oh, not that magic heaven bread again after 40 years. If we can put our hands out and gracefully receive with thanks what he puts into it, then I think we're on the way to learning to be content in all situations. All right, so the second thing is that blessing and curse is a matter of perspective. And we're looking at Deuteronomy 30, 19. And it, 
It's sort of part of Moses' final speech when he's about to die in the desert and send the Israelites off into the promised land after leading them all the way through the desert. He's handing over to Joshua and he's preparing them to go in without him. And one of the things that the Lord says through him is, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land. He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So God has placed these two choices before the Israelites. It's on one side, we've got life and blessing. And on the other side, we've got curses and death. And it really, I've read that and I thought of like an old cartoon where you've got the signpost and all the different signs going in different directions. And you've just got, you know, blessing this way, curses this way. And it's just a matter of picking the right direction and making the right choice. But the problem with that image is that the Israelites were not looking in two different directions. They knew exactly where they were headed. They were headed over the hill and into Canaan, into the promised land. Regardless of what choice they made, they they were going the same way, which means it was possible for them to both go into the promised land but still choose either blessing or curses. It's not that our life isn't as simple as, Oh, well, if I go this way, I'll be cursed. But if I go this way, I'll be blessed. I just totally switched the directions, I realized. Life is not that simple. It's not death in one direction, life in the other, prosperity in one direction, destruction in the other. All of us are going towards promise. God only leads us towards promise. The Bible teaches us we go from strength to strength, from glory to glory. But in that journey, there are still these choices to make. That choice is our perspective. So here's a scenario. A colleague gets a promotion that you deserved. Do you put your hands out and gracefully receive the opportunity to pray for them and to celebrate with them? Or do you put your hands out to receive bitterness and anger and resentment and think about how you could make their lives more difficult in that position? Do you choose life or death? The situation is not two different situations. You're in one situation making a choice about how you receive it. In the midst of sickness, I've got a friend and many of you will have been praying with this family who we received a message saying that their little daughter had been injured in a motorcycle accident and was in the ER with head trauma. And I thought about this sermon that I was going to preach and I thought about her sitting in the ER with that little girl and thinking, wow. Imagine that. Imagine going, God, do I receive this situation with faith for healing? Do I receive this situation with an opportunity to reach out to the body of Christ and approach this thing together? Or do I receive this situation with fear, with shrinking, with worst case scenario thinking? What do I put my hands out to receive in this situation? When I turn 30, do I put my hands out to receive the joy of what God has ahead of me? Or do I put my hands out to go to to, to all the not enoughs in my life and to all the what should have, could have beens? Do I go not enough God? In front of each of us is this moment, this gift from God, this manna from heaven. Or there's discontent and not enough. And we get to choose what we grasp hold of. And I think... 
yeah, the second thing that goes towards us being able to be content in any situation is the choice to choose life, to choose the perspective with which we put our hands out. This is real talk. It's a challenge. And like I said, you're in my studio surrounded by my half-finished paintings here. It's not... It's one situation and two choices and us deciding what we're actually going to grab hold of. And in that, letting go of the other thing, letting go of, you know, your right to be angry about something that was unfair, your right to be hurt by somebody, your right to hold on to unforgiveness. There's a lot of letting go of self in choosing life. One thing that I was thinking about this just as I drove here, and that's why there's no reference for it, because lucky I brought a pen, it's written in the margin. Um, I was reading about Jacob just before I came to church and how he wrestled with a man that he did not know all night he wrestled. He wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and in the end, the man reached out and actually broke the sinew in his leg, in his thigh. And it's interesting that that is the strongest sinew in your body. Like I read in a book that um, the theologian McConkie wrote about it. A horse running at full speed could not break that sinew. It is the strongest physical part of our body. So this man broke him where he was the strongest. And still, Jacob latched onto him and would not let go and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. And it turns out, of course, that that was not just an unknown man. That was God that he wrestled with. And sometimes I think we're in these situations and it's such a struggle. It's so hard to to get through some of the things that we walk through, some of the pain that we see in our world. And we don't don't go, I'm going to struggle, I'm going to struggle until I catch the blessing. We give up. When when we feel that brokenness, we go, oh, well, I'm broken now. I've lost. But only when we surrender to the brokenness, only when we recognize that we're not the strongest in the situation that God is, that's where we can grasp, grasp the blessing. But he didn't know that it was God. He had to go through that whole struggle, not knowing that God was in it. And I think sometimes that's us. We're going through this struggle, we go through this struggle, and we go, God cannot possibly be in this place. But at the end of that struggle, when we let go of our strength, there is blessing. But we have to realize that God is there because there's not a moment of our lives that God is not in. All right, the third point is the loaves and fishes and that thankfulness creates abundance. When we feel like our lives are not enough, when we feel like the moment that we're in is not enough, what God has given is not enough, the obvious antidote to that is abundance. And I'm reading from Mark 6. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran out on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. I love how they're just schooling 
Jesus on the geography and the time of day. It's like, did you know we're in a very remote place and it's getting late, Jesus? Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Like, you're going to school me about where we are? You fix it. (laughs) They said, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five. And two fish. Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 people. That is the very definition of not enough. Like, if I look at that with my earthly eyes, I go, well, God's not in that. Because if God was in that, then, you know, there'd be, everyone would have come with a loaf and they'd be well prepared because, you know, God would have prepared them for the moment. But God is in the moment, even though our earthly eyes go not enough. What does Jesus do? He redirects them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish up among them all. You know, I believe this because I've seen what my daughter can do with like two rice crackers and how far she can make that spread. And I believe that there's some sort of anointing of abundance on her. (laughs) They all ate and were satisfied. Then the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Jesus reached out his hand and he took the not enough. He didn't go when they brought him five loaves and two fish amid a crowd of 5,000 people. He didn't go, huh, no, not enough. He didn't send them away. He reached out, he grasped what was offered and he gave thanks. He received what was given without complaint, without asking for more or different. He didn't send them back to check again and he gave thanks. And a miracle happened. Anne Voskamp wrote that Thanksgiving creates abundance. I didn't come up with this on my, on my own. When we're faced with not enough and we submit to God and receive it, not begrudgingly, not with like, oh, well, I guess I have no choice but to give what God dishes out, not with a long, like a, a, a martyr mentality of a, fine, I guess I'll do it. It becomes abundance when we receive with thanksgiving. Many of us, we've talked about it so many times in this church, but for me it never gets old, the story of the writing of the hymn, It Is Well, and how Horatio Spafford, as he crossed the Atlantic over the place where his family had died, he wrote a hymn about how that moment was enough, about how it is well with my soul, about how... His relationship with God, his security in God, his willingness to accept what God gave wasn't based on what was in front of him. It was based on what he chose to receive. John 10.10 tells us the thief comes only to kill, steal and destroy. But Jesus has come so that we may have life and have it in abundance. Another time that Jesus held out his hands and he took bread 
and he broke it with thankfulness, was the Last Supper, which for us is the model of communion. It's when we remember him. Communion is also known as the Eucharist. My family, going way back at Anglicans, and they refer to communion as the Eucharist, which is a Greek word which means thankfulness, means thanksgiving. And when Jesus modeled the Eucharist, he was so close to the end of his life on earth. We have to think about what that meal would have been overshadowed with. That this is the last meal with his disciples before he went to the cross. Like, Think about the fear, the sadness, the uncertainty that would have surrounded that meal. And yet he took out his hands and he broke bread and he gave thanks. He said, take it and eat. This is my body. The root word for the word Eucharist, thanksgiving, is kara, which is Greek for joy. At the center of thanksgiving, there is joy. If we want to live each moment content, we need joy. We cannot find contentedness in this life without joy. If we want to live a life of thanksgiving in every moment, joy must be at the center of that. At the center of thanksgiving, even in the midst of his uncertainty, even in the midst of his fear for what the next few days would be, in the midst of the disciples having to let go of having him there all the time, there was joy. And Jesus offers us the bread of the Eucharist tonight. He offers it tomorrow. He offers it next Thursday when you're on your lunch break. This isn't something that we just do every two weeks in church. This is every moment. Jesus holds out the bread and he breaks it and he gives thanks and he hands it to us. And we get to decide whether we put our hands out and we receive that or we go, oh, not enough, not enough. My question tonight is, and I don't know where most people, what, what most people's lives look like beyond this moment, but what does your life look like and how will you receive it? Will you go, yes, God, what you offer is enough. What you offer, I will receive with grace, even though I don't like the taste, even though I'm sick of eating this. I will choose to engage in the struggle knowing that it is you that I struggle with and I will continue to struggle until I get the blessing. When we receive what he gives with thanks, we get to witness our not enough turn into abundance. The team can jump up. I'm just about to finish and pray for you. To find the blessing in the midst of not enough, we need to receive the manner that God gives, even when it's not what we ordered, even when we're going, oh, remember when there were onions in Egypt? Remember when there were leeks? Remember when there was garlic? I just, they were really on about the vegetables. Even when you are thinking about all the things that you used to have or that you thought you would have, to receive what God has given and to call it enough and to say thank you, that's when we find contentment. When we choose life and blessing over death and curses, even when the signposts aren't clear, even when we don't have a nice little cartoon signpost to tell us which way is death and which way is life, to choose life because we know that it's all in our perspective. And when we add our thanksgiving to our imperfect, not enough lives, we get to watch God himself. We get to watch 
God who came to earth do something incredible and to create abundance out of not enough. We get to be part of partners in a miracle. And our, that can't happen without our thanks, without our willingness to receive. I'm going to pray quickly. But I, do, I just, I want us to spend this next moment in worship just submitting whatever our lives look like to that idea of God do something amazing with my not enough life. Thank you for where I am. Thank you for what you've given me in this moment. What are you going to do with it, Lord? God, I just want to say thank you for these people. Thank you for all of us. Thank you for the struggles that we brought with us tonight, Lord God. Tonight we want to wrestle with you, Lord. Tonight we want to wrestle with you and receive the blessing that you are so wanting to give. Lord, we repent of all the times we've said, not enough, God. What you've given is not enough, Lord. And as we enter into worship, God, we raise our hands to receive. To receive with a new perspective, to receive what you give as blessing and to receive it with thankfulness. You're in every moment, God, and you, Jesus, you are always enough. Amen. This I will declare, God is my refuge. This I will declare, He is my strength. And I won't be afraid, for He is with me. And His
Thanks, Jen. Great word. So much of what we deal with is a matter of our perspective, isn't it? Those verses in Deuteronomy start with the word today. Today. Not tomorrow. Not when you get your stuff together. Today. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death. Between blessings and curses, now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. And then listen to the next little bit goes on. It says, you can make this choice by giving the Lord your by loving the Lord your God, by obeying Him and committing yourself, your family to Him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land that the the Lord swore to your fathers. Swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I just really felt just now to encourage and, and, and engage in this moment, in this today. I just feel the Holy Spirit is right here now and wants us to, to engage with this. Today, you have a choice. You have a choice of life or death. You have a choice in a situation you're in on how you're going to navigate that situation. You have a choice in what is happening in your family, in your workplace, in your situation, in relationships, in your finances. You have a choice today. How are we going to do that? Are we going to, are we going to choose life? Are we going to step into the fact that we can obey God in that situation? Are we going to step into the fact that that we don't have to be, as Jen has put it, in that place? You know, that sulking about what hasn't happened and what might have been and what could have happened. My word, we all live in the might have beens and could have beens and the what might have happened. Jen's had it at 30, mate. I've had, I, I've, I've had 30, 40 and 50 now to, to go through and, and think about, you know, what might have been and what could have been. And yeah, have I, have I mucked up parts of my life? Absolutely. Have I, have I, you know, got it all together? No way. But you know what? There is a sense where we need to get up every single morning and say, today I choose life. Today I'm going to choose the difference between a blessing and a curse in my situation. Today. And right now, I think this is a today moment for some people here right now in stuff that we're dealing with that we're going to say today that we choose blessing in that moment. We choose blessing in whatever is going on in our world. You see, the the blessing was not about the perfection. It wasn't about getting right. It was about the choice. Bow our heads right now. I just want to. I just want to pray, and I just believe that the Holy Spirit wants to bring courage in a in a today moment. And just as I, I was listening to to Jen and listening to our worship, you know, I sensed, uh, you know, we're perhaps a smaller number tonight, and we haven't got drums, and all that affects the way that we that we function. But in the spirit, I I just. I sense a little bit of a heaviness in the place tonight. A weight. And we can we can go into that week carrying a weight or we can make a choice right now that today we're going to choose blessing. 
today we're going to choose life. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here and you're ministering to people. And, and Lord, oh, I, I thank you that you don't care about whether we've got it all right or not. I thank you that you just love us as we are in that moment. And I pray right now, whatever we're going through, whether it's, you know, whether we're in a season where we're, we're feeling, you know, a, a sense of satisfaction or, or whether just things are not making sense, whatever it is, I thank you that you never take away the opportunity from us to choose. I thank you that we can always choose life. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that there would be courage that would land on people across this place right now. Courage from your kingdom, courage of heaven, that no matter what we're going through, that we would stand in our situation, we would stand where we are, and we would be able to say that today I choose life. I do not choose bless. I do not choose a curse. I choose to receive your blessing. I, I choose to be obedient to you. I choose to follow you. I choose to follow you and make you my Lord, my God in that situation. And I pray right now that there would be a sense of your hope would just fill this place, would fill hearts across this place. In Jesus' mighty name. The Bible tells us that that hope is a trustworthy anchor for our soul. Do you know that our, our soul is pretty untrustworthy? Our soul is actually led by our emotions and our stuff. But our spirit, when we surrender to God, is saved and set free. And it is, it is the new man, but it is, our, it is our soul. It's our thinking. It's our emotions. That's the stuff that leads us away and that's why it's what the children of Israel were going through that's why God said those verses in Deuteronomy he said today every single day you need to get up and choose life and we make a choice over and above our emotions we make a choice through our emotions we make a choice over and above our situation I want to encourage um, Merle Merle was in our prayer time tonight and, um, and I know so many people are encouraged by Merle and Merle's been going through a little bit of a, of a tough season with health and things like that. But I, I want to encourage you, Merle. I just got a sense that as you continue to choose life, and even in the choices and the things that, that you're facing, you know, you'll you get the choice to sort of rationalize things and say, should I do this? Should I go that way? Should I go this way? I, I think God's saying to you right now that the main thing that you've got to do is just continue to choose life. Choose, choose, choose his future, choose his presence in whatever you face, and, and he will go with you. And, and, and just get that, get that, those verses out and read them again. And, and, he, and he talks about about what he what he's going to to do for us. You know, you'll live long in the land. You know, he hasn't finished with you yet. He's got so much more uh, ahead of you. I, I want to encourage you, Liz. Um, I, I'm not pretending this in the in the prophetic. I know in the natural that. You know, tonight's been a bit of a tough night. But but in the prophetic, I, I want to just speak life into you and your family and your situation and say that, you know, God is going to, he's going to break through, he's going to come through, and he wants to strengthen you right now. He, he wants you to know how valuable you are to him. He wants you to know 
how much he loves you. He wants you to know that he will be your strength. He wants to know that he is enough. And he actually wants you to know right now that you're enough. That with, with Christ in you, you're enough. You're enough for your family. You're enough for your kids. You're enough for whatever's in front of you. And the battle, the strive, it, it, you, you, you can surrender that and let it go because absolutely you're enough. Lord, we thank you for this. Just fill it with your spirit and your presence right now. I pray in the name of Jesus that she would just know how much you love her. She would know how close you are to her. I pray for protection over her. I thank you that the hope that she has in Jesus Christ is that trustworthy anchor for her soul. And, and I pray right now that things that, that she's been going with and dealing with, that you would lead her through that that she would see a perspective beyond the situation, that she would have a peace and a joy like Jen talked about tonight in the scenario. Lord, I thank you that she can have peace in the storm. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Is there anyone here tonight that can't say to me, anybody else here that you know Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour. Now that's that's Bible type teach, but basically it means that you've made Jesus the centre. That's really good, Sandra. The centre, the captain, the person who is above all things in your life. And the Bible's really clear we read that there is no way that we can be right with God except through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how much we work, how hard we work, what we do. There's just no, we can't get it right. We can't be good enough. Some of us have been pretty bad. Some of us have been pretty good. But before God, there's this... It's not even anywhere on the scale. He just looks at it and we're all a long way short of his perfection because we're human. We're broken. And if, if you can't say tonight that you know that you're right with God because you have connection and relationship and you've experienced forgiveness in Jesus Christ, I'd like to give you that opportunity right now And I'm not asking you to give up stuff. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. I'm not asking you to give that up. Maybe you're, you're struggling with, with a relationship that you think, gee, wish this was different. I'm not asking you to give anything up. I'm actually asking you not to give one thing up. I'm actually asking you to give everything up. In other words, take your life like it is, how it is, and say, Jesus, here I am. And you will be amazed at what he can do with that. And if you've never done that, if you've never come to him like you are and how you are and said, hey, Jesus, I know that you are God. I know you're the son of God. I know that you died for me. And, and, and I want you to be my, my Lord, my captain, my leader for the rest of my life. So our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you've never done that, just give me a wave. Say, hey, Dave, I, I would like to do that. Because I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment if... 
if, if people give me a wave and respond, that is just you surrendering. Praise God. Is there anybody else that needs to do that right now, tonight? It doesn't matter whether you feel like you've prayed this prayer before or you've got it right. I just want you to take this opportunity to make sure that, that you're right with God. Is there anybody else that needs to do that?